Let's pray together. Our Father who, who is in heaven, we come before you trusting you and rejoicing that you are our Father. We praise you that you will answer us as you've promised with as, as much readiness as and even more readiness than our earthly parents. And we trust that we may expect from your almighty power all things necessary for our body and our soul. Hear us, Father, as we come before you in faith and pray. We ask that you would hallow your name, enable us rightly to know and reverence and magnify and praise you in all your works through which shine forth your power and your wisdom and your goodness, your justice, your mercy, and your truth. And likewise, to so order our whole life in thought and word and work that your name may never be blasphemed, but instead honored and praised on our account. We pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that you would preserve and increase your church. We pray that for this congregation and for churches in Greenville, in the U.S., and all around the world. We pray that you would so govern us by your word and your spirit that we may submit ourselves unto you always more and more. We pray that you would destroy the works of the, the devil destroy every power that exalts itself against you and destroy all wicked devices formed against your holy word until the coming of your kingdom where you shall be all in all. We pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Grant that we and all people here in our country, in the nations, the leaders of the world, we pray that they may renounce our own will and yield ourselves to you without gainsaying. We pray that so that everyone may fulfill their task and calling as willingly and as truly as the angels do in heaven. We pray that you would give us this day our daily bread. Be pleased to provide for all our bodily needs and for those down with suffering disease and illnesses, for those that are ailing and aged, the poor, the penniless, and all in need, that we may thereby know that you are the only fountain of all good, and so place that trust alone in you. We pray that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Be pleased for the sake of Christ to forgive our transgressions and evils. And as we find this witness of your grace in our lives, may our full purpose be to heartily forgive our neighbor. Lord, forgive them, forgive us, and give us renewed willingness to forgive and pursue reconciliation. And finally, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. 
Father, you know us since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand even for a moment while our deadly enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh assail us without ceasing. Be pleased to preserve and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may stand firm against them until we come off at last with complete victory. All of this we ask of you because as our king who has power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all good. And thereby we long for your holy name to be glorified now into eternity. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Desire and deception, that is, those are the two words that I think came to mind as I reflected on the last two weeks in 1 John. And I'll just sort of uh, mention those here as the sort of introduction to the scripture. 2.15 through 17, or actually 2.11 through 17, you know, one of the things that came out really clearly is that there are desires of the world. And specifically, these are desires that are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, evil in and of themselves. You remember Jason saying, these are desires set in opposition to and rebellion against God. Those are desires that both shape the world, but also are shaped by the world. And then in 18 to 27, there is this deception, right? this danger of deceit, the Antichrist, those who deny the Son, and in that way they deny the Father. John has called his readers to hold fast to the truth that they've heard. Remember, these are the things that came out. Forgiveness, knowing the Father, victory over evil, the anointing, right? The Holy Spirit that we've been given, the promise of eternal life, and the assurance that the Holy Spirit provides that you reside, abide in Him. Those are all things that John has been at pains to show. And now in the passage that we're going to look at, he returns to a theme that appeared earlier in the letter, chapter 2. You're going to hear some of these same themes that, or you're going to remember these themes that you've already heard. And in this, he calls his readers to obedience, to stand fast against that deception, those dangers that threaten them. So if you will, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. This begins in chapter 2, verse 28, and goes to chapter 3, verse 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has, yet to, excuse me, has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Just pray with me one more, once more. Father, again, we thank you for this word that you've given to us. And we pray now that you would speak. We pray now that you would do what you have promised. That you would accomplish all that you send your word forth to do. We have no power in ourselves. We need to hear from you. We need you to speak to us, to work in us. And I pray that you would do that, Father, that you would comfort, that you would convict, that you would kill us by this word, and that you would raise us up. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So when the world sends the message to you, a Christian, that you are alien, that you're strange, that you're backwards, that you're weird, when the world sends you the message that you are a nuisance and an annoyance, When the world sends you the message that you are an enemy of all that is really good and right. When the world does that, when you experience this, what happens to you? I mean, I'm assuming that you have experienced that. Have you? Have you experienced that little when the world starts talking at you, about you? Do you feel that conflict inside of you? Do you feel that subtle kind of pressure right in here that starts to well up? Right? It might feel 
a little bit like shame when the world starts talking at you, about you, you're strange. When you feel that pull, where do you find rest? Where do you find some resolution to that? When you feel that tension. When you feel like an outsider looking in. When you feel like you're being pushed away by the world. How do you, do you deal with that? Do you find rest by seeking acceptance from the world? Do you try to find some way to not seem quite so odd to a world that doesn't understand you? Now, okay, I say that. Now, I know that if we were sitting down over lunch talking, we would probably for sure certainly come up with some ways that we don't do ourselves any favors as Christians, okay? We would probably be able to come up with some ways that, yeah, that's weird and you don't need to be that way. I'm not talking about that. I mean, I'm sure that we could come up with that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you seem weird because of stuff like the atonement. When you seem weird because of stuff like resurrection and life after death. Do you feel the ridicule for that? For God, believing in Him, do you, do you try to, to play it down, right? to dampen it a little bit, to not be so out there? Or do you resist the world? Do you stand true to who you are? John calls us to the latter. In verses 28 and 29, he calls us to abide in Christ. We read that. He's abide in Christ, and he calls us to, to remain separate from those who would deny the Son and the Father. Right? To, not, to not be in that category, because what's going to happen with those guys is that in shame, they're going to shrink away at the coming of Christ. He says, don't be like that. Abide in him. Hold fast to him. He calls us to remain righteous, to walk in righteousness as Christ himself is righteousness. righteous. He calls us to the same thing in verses 4 to 10. He's going to call for this separation, for this walk, this abiding walk, this obedience. Separation and righteousness. And right in between those sections, 2.28 and 29, and then 3.4 to 3.10, right in between there, in verses 1 through 3, John explores the truths that drive that separation and righteousness. It's like he, it's like he stops 
I'll read it again. And I'll, yeah. In 29, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is where John picks up. He takes off on that to unpack the truths that fuel and animate the obedience. I think that verse 3, 3 captures where we're going the best. It says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That purifies himself as he is pure. We'll talk about more about that next week. What John points to here is the hope that sustains us. The hope that empowers us. That's where we're going to focus. This hope in him. And that hope comes kind of in two ways. John points to two things. Who we are and who we will be. Who we are and who we will be. Look with me first at John 3 chapter 1. I mean John chapter 3 verse 1. In who we are, John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. As I mentioned, he's diving deeper into what this means that we are born of God, that we're fathered by him. He says, see, take a look at this. You got to slow down, stop for a moment and see what makes us different. He says, what kind of love? That what kind, it also carries this idea of how great. What kind, what sort of love has the Father given to you? Right? This love that he's put in you, this love that changes you. Well, it's a great love. It's an amazing love. Why? Look at what he says in the next section. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? And then here's the explanatory note that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Now, that may seem obvious to you, but it's worth saying. It needs to be said over and over and over again to you, to me. See what this love of the Father looks like. The Father takes you, you, he takes you, a people far away who don't deserve it, and he makes you his own. That's what the Father does. You get a new identity. It's called children of God. That is what you are called, children of God. Right? Or, you say it this way, you are children of God. Or we could say it again this way, you are children of God. John says this in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, 
But to all who did receive him, because right, there are those who didn't, we'll see that in a second. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Your father shows his love for you. This is his love for you, that through his son, through trust in his son, you are his children. You really, really, really are. But that's the rub, right? Some of you, perhaps many of you, find it hard to believe that the Father loves you. Or better, it's hard for you to see the Father moving toward you, embracing you as his own, making you like him. You need to hear what John is saying what he is urging, what he wants you so desperately to see, what you need so desperately to see, is that all of those things that I just described, that's what it is to know the Father, what it is to be his child. And, as John has said already, you know the Father. Because he has given his love to you. He's made you his child. It's absolutely vital that we get that. It's the starting point for everything else. It's the beginning of this hope that John is holding out to us. John makes the point here also because it gets at the root of the division that he's been talking about throughout his letter and he's going to continue to talk about. The whole light, dark, obedience, disobedience, practicing sin, practicing righteousness, right? Antichrist, I don't know what the other part of that is. Okay. He tells us this because it provides some hope in the midst of all of that. Look at the last part of chapter 3, verse 1. John said, The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John says something like this in his gospel. This is from chapter 1 again, verses 9 to 11. He says, The true light which, comes, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus said it you know, a little bit more sharply. In John 15, verse 18 and 19, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. When John says the world doesn't know us, he's getting at how the world relates to us. 
He's pointing to the conflict between God's people and the world. But he is assuring us. He is encouraging us. He is reminding us that this conflict between us and the world exists because there is conflict between Jesus and the world. You belong to the Father's Son, and so are the child of the Father. John tells us, when the world comes at you, they're doing to you what was done to your Savior. You are experiencing this because you belong to him. What happened to his son happens to his children. And you are children of God. We are children of God. That's who we are. And that leads to the second source of our hope, who we will be. In verse 2, John said, Beloved, we are children of God. We are God's children now. He reminds us again. We are God's children right now, in this moment. That is who you are. Now in the midst of the world and its desires. Now right in the midst of deception and pressure to deny all of this stuff and come away. Now, right now, you are children of God. That's who you are now. But that is not the end of the story. And this is where it gets really good and, and hard. Because just it's because now we get into the mysterious stuff. John says, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. There is more to you than who you are. There's more. As the world could not see who Christ was, he was veiled, so all that we are has not been fully revealed. No wonder the world doesn't know you, doesn't know us. The world doesn't see us. I mean, really see us. For that matter, and again, it comes back to you, there are many times that you don't see yourself. You forget who you are. You don't remember who you are. And you certainly can't see that this isn't all that you are. That what you will be is yet to be seen. Fully. Do you forget that? Do you find yourself sort of feel, filling that void or feeling that void? Not knowing 
what you are, who you are, and then the absence of that, and that sort of, you know, scraping up the wall, trying to escape that, do you find yourself open to something, someone telling you what that is, who you are, what you are? John is reminding you now. He's calling you to remember now. Remembering who you will be changes you now. It impacts what you do, how you respond to the world. I saw this the other night when Amos and I were watching professional wrestling. Amos... He, he swears that it is, we had an argument about whether or not this was real. This wrestling. I mean, I'm talking about the, you know, kabuki. <laughs> junkyard dog and stuff. That's, we had an argument about whether this was real. And there were two distinct responses, right, that we had, right? I mean, when, <laughs> when, when the guy climbed up to the 15-foot sort of, I don't even know why this sort of platform was there. It just happened to be there. And did the, I forget, yeah, thank you. Did the, whatever, whatever this is called, right, the suflex, right? The, the hyper suflex from 15 feet up where they happen to fall on a collapsible table. We argued about this, but I saw two distinct sort of, sort of responses. Amos sitting there, oh, oh, how do, can you believe that just happened? And me sitting on the couch going, yes, I can believe that just happened. It was all, it was all scripted. No, it wasn't. We even looked it up on the internet. I knew, uh, this is, I'm really pressing this illustration, aren't I? I knew that it was fake or, or choreographed. That shaped how I responded to this whole thing. There was no excitement. There was no awe. There was not that disbelief that comes with the surprise upset. Right? No. Remembering who you will be changes who you are right now. What is that? Who will we be? What's the content of it? Where is it pointing? What are we looking forward to? Well, John tells us that in the last part of verse 2. 
He says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John says we don't fully see what we will be, but that doesn't mean that we have no idea. John says, but we know three things. Three. One, we know Christ will return. That's one of those reasons that the world thinks that we're weird. That's the appearing that John is talking about. Paul puts it this way. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It's the return of Christ. Whatever it is that we will be is connected to that. Two, we know that we will be changed. Another one of those reasons the world thinks that we're weird. We will be changed in such a way that what we truly are will be out in the open, no longer veiled. John's pointing ahead here to the resurrection. As Christ was veiled in the flesh, like us, and was raised in resurrection, his resurrection is sort of like a wave, right? He's the first, and it's sort of like a wave, and we get caught up in that wave. One resurrection, right? We get caught up in his resurrection. We get in on it. And John says, at that resurrection, we will be like him. He's pointing there to glorification. The transformation that we will experience. And that transformation is going to be physical. It's going to be ethical. Paul again puts it like this in Philippians 3. Speaking of Jesus and his return. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He will transform this body, this earthly body, this body that sort of struggles under the weight of a sinful world, the frailty of a sinful existence. He'll transform this body into a glorious body. What is that going to look like? I don't know, and nobody else does either. I mean, that's the mystery here. We don't know exactly what this is going to look like, what it will be like. No, well, who's ever, ex well, okay, Jesus has experienced it, but we don't know. These are, these are the words that we sort of, sort of try to grasp at an understanding of what this is. It is a glorious body like his. It's ethical, moral. In Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We will be like him, body, and we will be like him, character. Who we are 
who we will be, we don't fully know. It's here. It's here now, right? We just can't see it all. We know it will be physical, ethical, bodies fit for his presence, sin removed. So that's the first two things. Christ will return and we will be changed. And the third, and here's the punchline, right? This is the reason that we will be changed. The reason that his appearing is so amazing. We know, three, we know that we will see him. We will see him. Why will we be changed? Because we will see him. Something about the glorified presence of Christ, resurrected presence of Christ, returned at consummation, transforms everything. Seeing him will transform us fully. And not just we see him, but we see him And really get this, we see him as he is. Again, I I don't know how to fully, there are not words to fully explain that. But we need to let it sit on us. We see him as he is. Think about this right now. We have stories about Christ, his words and his acts. We have descriptions of Christ, his character, that it's puts on display in those stories, his words, his acts. We have the reflections of others, right? In scripture, we have the reflections of others, of their experience of Christ, what it was like to see him. For goodness sakes, that's what John says at the beginning of this letter. What we have seen and heard. We have that in Scripture. But then John says, at his appearing, at his appearing, no more stories, no more descriptions, no more reflections. Then it will be us face to face with Jesus. You, face to face with living Christ. Jesus, glorified in the flesh. And I want to keep accentuating that idea. This is Jesus in the flesh, glorified flesh, but flesh nonetheless. That is what we see. Face to face with him Nothing obscuring our vision of him, nothing hindering our awe, nothing hindering our praise, nothing hindering our love for him, because we will see him as he is. And what makes this even more beautiful than it already is, what's even more comprehensible And if you hear nothing, hear this. Jesus looks forward to this too. 
Jesus looks forward to this. Here's how I know that. He prayed for it. He prays for it. John 17. Jesus said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. Now, don't miss what he just said. It's easy to lose sight of this to get lost in the last part of that verse because it's all great stuff. To see me, to see my glory. Right? That you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's all about Jesus. But it's easy to miss what he just said just prior to that. Father, I desire that they, the ones that you have given to me, I desire that they may be with me. People of God, we will not spend eternity standing in awe of a brightly lit statue of a Savior. This sort of mannequin that sort of has this gaze out there in the distance looking just past you. We're face to face with a Savior that can see you, that touches you. A Savior that looks back at you, a Savior that desires to be with you, who desires for you to see him in all of his glory, his compassion, his mercy, his patience, his tenderness, his kindness, his righteousness, his holiness, all of it on full display. Jesus, glorified flesh. And it's seeing with our own eyes then what we can only faintly, dimly grasp now by faith. by that that we will be transformed into his image that is the hope that John holds out to you John is calling us to remember this hope that we have in him people of God do you see how your Father loves you. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now and we thank you for your goodness, your mercy to us that you have shown us in your Son. We thank you for this love that you have bestowed on us, that you have put in us 
making us your children. We pray that these truths, who we are, who we will be, will sink deep into our souls. That we will get it, that we will grasp it by your spirit, that we will hold on to it. Let it find a place to grow in us. That we would know something of it now. Father, I pray that you would stir in us that desire to see you, to see our Savior as he is. That longing would be a heartbeat, would be life to us, would drive us, would move us to glorify you in all that we do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.